Thanks, Richard. As strange as it is, it is uh, preaching to an empty room, it still beats preaching to my iPhone sitting on a bookcase, so this is an improvement. And it is amazing, thanks to technology, that we are still able to meet together. Just over a week ago, the world was shocked to see images of people, a crowd of people, storming the United States Capitol building. And they broke into that building, and, and they rioted inside and, and led to the death of several people, including a police officer. And the world watched in amazement as that iconic building, that symbol of lawful democracy, was desecrated. And I watched along in amazement, but I was actually most amazed to see one protester as they climbed the steps, holding and waving a banner that said, Jesus saves on it. Jesus saves. And it forced me to think, is that really the sort of lifestyle, the sort of behavior, the sort of, of walk that Jesus wants to be associated with? Is that what Jesus wants from those who love him and follow him? And that's what we're trying to get to the heart of in this series. What sort of life, what sort of walk does Jesus want from us? And as we look at our verse this morning, and as we take time to think about it, we're going to see that the answer is that is certainly not what he is asking of us. Paul, who, who wrote the letter to the Ephesians, tells us that the walk that marks our lives as Christians within a Christian community is to be very different. So let's read this morning's passage from the start of Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God." And this is continuing our series about walking the walk for the talk you talk. That title was a cruel joke on the part of the ministry committee. But it did remind me of when I was younger, uh, reading the back of a novel by an author called Andy McNabb. Andy McNabb was a former special forces soldier, and he wrote novels about that sort of thing. And one reviewer or, or one enthusiastic publicist had written the quote, others might talk the talk, but only he has walked the walk. And it's that idea of someone who really lives out in every minute of their life what they believe and know to be true. And that's what we're being challenged about from Ephesians. We're being challenged about our walk as Christians. Not just what we think, not just what we say we believe or say we would do, not even necessarily just a list of things for us to adhere to, but a life, a walk, a manner of being that Jesus wants us to inhabit. What is the walk that we are to have as Christians? And today's verses are really the concluding statement for the previous paragraph at the end of chapter 4, where Paul has been describing the behavior that we should have, each of us together in the Christian community how we should interact with each other. And he's concluded it with this verse, that we should be, be imitators of God, that we should walk in love. 
And David took us through that passage last week and challenged us with it. And Paul is saying that underpinning all of those things, that, that, that whole section is this idea of walking in love, living your life in love. And that idea of love now permeates the second half of Ephesians. You'll see Paul talking about doing different things, husbands and wives in love, and, 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 and how we should behave together in love. That idea of being together in a Christian community in love is what he's getting at here. But what is love? Love is a word, an idea that could have many interpretations, many definitions, many ideas of, of what it does or looks like or entails. But thankfully for us, Paul has given us a very clear bit of guidance here as to what he means when he tells us that we should walk in love. He says we should be walking in love as Christ, as Christ. Paul is pointing us to the example of the Lord Jesus, to his life, to his love. This is what our love should mirror. This is what we should be imitators of. This is what we should be doing. And that's simply what I want us to think about this morning. Paul highlights three things to my mind about the, the, the Lord Jesus to challenge us and to guide us as he instructs us to walk in love. And that's what I want us to think about. He says we're to walk in love, first of all, as Christ loved you. And as we think about how the Lord Jesus loves us, the New Testament gives us much to work with. And we could spend all day, all week, all year talking about how the Lord loves us. But when I think about the Lord's love for me, the verse that always comes to my mind is, is Romans 5 and verse 8. And, and you'll remember when we covered this last year in our series to Romans, it says this, while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to die, but God shows his love for us in this, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That is how God shows his love for us. And so as we reflect on that, as we reflect on how Christ loved us, what do we learn? Well, the first thing I think we see is that the Lord in his love takes the initiative. He takes the first step. He didn't wait for us to come to him. He stepped out of heaven. He became a man and dwelt among us. He took the first step. He took the initiative. While I was still a sinner, while I was still in, in, in disinterest rebellion to him, Christ acted. He took the first step. He was the initiator. So the Lord's love was initiating. And the second thing from this verse that we can think about is that we were totally undeserving of it. Wasn't that the Lord looked at us and thought, what a great guy. I'd love to, to know him and, and care for him and love him and have him in my family. We're told very clearly that while we were still sinners, while we were still in rebellion and living for ourselves and having our backs turned on him, while we were totally undeserving, while, while from God's perspective, in any human sense of the word, we were unlovable, and yet, He loved us. 
He took the initiative. He loved us even though we had done nothing to deserve it. We had done nothing to earn it. And so the application for us is that as we love in our Christian community, as, as, we, as we inhabit this walk, we have to make the first move, as it were. We need to be, like the Lord, moving towards people in love, not waiting for them to come to us and not waiting for them to hit a certain level of need or, or even a certain standard of behavior before we love them. All of us will probably have had a favorite auntie or our granny, the sort of person who is very lovable, who lavishes you with buns and presses five pounds into your hand when your mum's not looking. Someone like that is very easy to love. And then at the other end of the spectrum, we have people who are very unlovable, who, who perhaps because of how they look or how they act or often their personality are just hard to love. They're just unlovable. And then somewhere in between those two extremes, we have most people, that middle group of people, neither extreme. And if we're really going to walk in love like the Lord Jesus, in fact, we have to be indiscriminate in our love. There's no standard of lovability that those people have to get to before we love them. Equally, there's no standard of depravity or, or, or of need that they need to achieve before we love them either. They don't have to earn our love by being deserving of it. If we're to love like the Lord Jesus, we are to be indiscriminate in who we love. And so as we walk in love, we are to be initiative. We are to take the initiative. And that means really nothing more than the onus is on us to do it. Each of us as individuals in this community, we don't need to wait for the elders to get up and announce that this month we're going to love each other. We don't need to wait for a, a feeling deep within our hearts that it's the right thing to do. We don't need to wait for the Bible to fall open at Ephesians 5 some wintry Saturday morning. And we certainly don't need to wait until someone comes up to our door with their cap in their hand. We are to live and initiate in love. We are to move towards those around us in love, and we are to do it indiscriminately. So we're to walk in love as Christ loved us, undeserving. And then secondly, we are to walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. Because the most supreme example of the Lord's love for us is that he died on the cross for us. He willingly subjected himself to that death, to, the, to, the, to all of the cruelty and the inhumanity of it to all of the pain and the suffering of it, and on the cross to allow the Father to lay on him the punishment for the sin of the world. And that act of sacrifice, that supreme act of sacrifice, is the greatest demonstration of his love for us. His love was a sacrificial love. And I want to challenge you with something that has challenged me as I have reflected on these verses. And that is the difference between generosity and sacrifice. Both of them good things, but there is a difference. If Bill Gates was to meet me in the street or, or, or send me a check for a hundred pounds, that would be very generous of him. I hadn't done any work for him. I haven't helped him out with anything. He just decides to give me a hundred pounds, and, and I would take it, and I'd be very grateful, and that would be Bill Gates's generosity but it wouldn't be a sacrifice for him. His net worth is 
89 billion dollars. A hundred pounds is so small as to be immeasurable in the grand scheme of his wealth. And so, while he was being generous, he wasn't being sacrificial. And it's easy for us in our lives to be generous with things when they cost us nothing. Generosity is good, don't mistake me. It is a wonderful Christian virtue and practice. But Paul here is calling us to more than just generosity. He is calling us to sacrifice. And so the application is that as we walk in love to each other, we have to be prepared that there will be a cost to it. There will be a sacrifice involved. How can loving each other be costly? How could your loving me be costly for you? Well, it may be literally financially costly, depending on on how you find me or, or what my need is. But it can be costly in other ways as well. Walking in love in a Christian community can be costly in terms of your privacy. If you open your home and share hospitality with people, you sacrifice a little bit of the privacy that we all treasure in the Western world. It can be costly in terms of the toll it takes emotionally. If we come alongside each other and and say, I'm going to bear your burdens, I want to spend time listening to what's happening with you, to the difficulties you're going through, and I want to take those with you to the Lord in prayer, there is an emotional cost to that. And we see at the extreme so many pastors and elders and pastoral care workers burn out because they didn't appreciate that there was an emotional sacrifice, an emotional cost There is an energy cost, if you like. There are so many demands on ourselves in the world, and and any act of love to another Christian, to another believer, is a cost on us. Certainly, there's a sacrifice of time as well. Any time you spend doing doing something for another Christian, that's time that you could have been using to spend with your own family, or or to earn money, or, or to do something that you enjoy as a hobby. Giving up that precious weekday evening to go and meet someone for coffee and to listen to them, that is a cost. Now, there is a balance to this. The Lord tells us that we are to love others, to love your neighbor as you love yourself. So, what I'm saying here is not a license to burn ourselves out or to run ourselves ragged or to destroy our own homes or our own family lives or our own selves, but it is a challenge to us that if our love for each other costs us nothing, if it doesn't involve some sacrifice, then perhaps we haven't grasped fully what it means to walk in love the way the Lord Jesus did. So Paul has challenged us to walk in love as Christ loved us sacrificially and, and, and uh, to, to, to come to each other in love. And Finally, then, he he reminds us that the Lord's love was a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God, to God. Ultimately, the Lord's death on that cross, the Lord's love for us was an offering for His Father, was a sacrifice to His Father. And so it is with us as well. We're not charity workers to each other in the church, walking around doing nice things for these people around us. We are actually making an offering to our Father in heaven. And remembering that, that walking in love is a sacrifice to God, is an antidote 
to many of the ways that the wheels can come off the wagon with this. And I imagine most of you, like me, can look back at a time in your life when perhaps you tried to do this. You tried to, to, to care more, to love more, to look after those around you more. Maybe after, after some experience in your own life, or perhaps after a new year or a new chapter. And yet, things didn't really pan out the way you were expecting. Things didn't really go the way you had hoped, and you find your enthusiasm waning and things just sort of fizzle out, and you go back to the way you were before. Why does that happen? Well, one reason perhaps that it happens is that we have some hidden expectations in our heart about what should happen when we love others. And perhaps those expectations are even hidden from ourselves. I remember um, not that long ago, a few years ago, um, my wife and I bought people a Christmas present. We were in a, a group of friends, and it was a secret Santa set up, and, and uh, we had got this other couple, and we thought of a present that we really thought they would love, and it was a little bit beyond the budget that we'd set as a group, but we were so convinced that this was just a brilliant gift for them as a couple, and it would be such a blessing for them to have it, and it would be such a, a joy for them as a family, and, and we really just thought, this is just a brilliant gift, it's a brilliant opportunity, we're going to stretch ourselves, and we got it for them. You know where this is going. We all sat round and opened each other's gifts, and they opened our gift. And it was like that moment as a child whenever your granny stops putting money in your Christmas card, and you open it and you see that there's nothing there, and you know that you have to pretend that you like it, but everyone knows your disappointment. Well, that was exactly what happened. They opened this gift that we had given to them, and it fell totally flat. And I have to be honest, I was really annoyed. Because in my heart, I had expected that they would be so pleased, they would be so delighted, they would be so thankful, that they would be just overjoyed with this thing that I had done for them. And when they weren't, well, that revealed to me that there was a hidden expectation in my heart. And so it can be as we're trying to walk in love as well. Perhaps we have this expectation that as we do these things, we'll receive thanks Perhaps we'll receive applause. Perhaps we'll receive the credit will be well thought of. Sometimes we may not even know that we have those expectations until they're not met. Perhaps we have the expectation of reciprocation. No one ever does this sort of thing for me. And all of those hidden attitudes in our heart ultimately can leave us feeling let down, leave us fizzling out. Richard Foster in his book, A Celebration of Discipline, talks about the, the difference between what he, he calls self-centered service and true service. And I just want to read two paragraphs of it to you because I think it really gets to the heart of this idea. Self-centered service requires external rewards. It needs to know that people see and appreciate the effort. It seeks human applause with proper religious modesty, of course. True service rests contented in hiddenness. It does not fear the lights and blare of attention, but it does not seek them either, since it is living out of a new center of reference. The divine nod of approval is completely sufficient. Self-righteous service is highly concerned about results. It eagerly waits to see if the person served will reciprocate in kind. 
It becomes bitter when the results fall below expectations. True service is free of the need to calculate results. It delights only in the service. It can serve enemies as freely as friends. And so what Paul is reminding us here is that as we walk in love, what we are actually doing is not directed ultimately at the person in front of us, but to our Father in heaven. As we walk in love, we are making a sacrifice and an offering to our Father that is pleasing to Him. And so we love devotionally, as it were, to God above us. So we are to walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So as we close, how do we show love in the time of COVID? Many of the things we would naturally associate with this are closed to us at the moment. And so we have to be creative. The first step I would suggest is that you ask the Lord to prompt and guide you. Not in a a dramatic way, but to come before him simply in prayer and say, Lord, I want to walk in love. I want to follow your example. I want to love those around me. Help me to do it. Help and guide me this week to walk in love amongst my brothers and sisters. Help me with it, Lord. So I would suggest that's a first step for all of us. I'd suggest as well that the time we spend every Sunday morning remembering the Lord and remembering the Lord's love for us is so critical for this. It reminds us of the pattern that we're imitating. It gently corrects any of the errors of ourselves that have crept in. And so the fellowship around the Lord's table is so critical for us as well as we seek to then imitate that love that we remember from the Lord as we walk in our day-to-day lives. And my my worry about giving you concrete examples of things we can do is that it, it quickly becomes a prescriptive list. And the whole point of this series is to challenge that sort of thinking. Uh, we're, we're, we're wanting to develop a way of life, not a tick list to go down. And so that's why I've spent so much time this morning thinking about what walking in love really means. But I do want to give you a few suggestions, just as much to get you thinking about how walking in love might work itself out in your life this week, this month, and this year. Perhaps one thing you could do is be a listening ear, the gift of listening. Not necessarily having to answer or provide solutions, but just to sit down with another Christian and offer to listen to what's going on with them, to listen to their hardships or their struggles, and to provide yourself as a quiet, confidential sounding board for someone to open up to. That would be a great act of love. Prayer and intercession for someone else is a tremendous act of love. To commit to taking time to pray for someone, either by asking them what you can pray for, or even just quietly without them knowing, but to regularly and faithfully bring them before the Lord and to lift them up to Him and ask for His blessing and care on them. That is a great act of love that any of us can do for each other. The gift of fellowship with each other, a phone call or a text message to someone, maybe an email to one of our missionaries, but just to touch base with someone, just to say hello, just to remind them that they are not alone. That is a great love. And the gift of hospitality. Now, at the moment, obviously, that is closed to us. 
But as I have become a father, I have realized how much children are a blessing, especially to older people. And perhaps there is an opportunity for those of us who are young families to share that family life with others through Zoom or through sending a few photos or, or, or through uh, touching base with an older member of the congregation and, and letting them know how the children are getting on because welcoming them into your family in that way is actually a real act of love. And undoubtedly as well, we can be practical in our love. We do the large and the small things. Uh, and perhaps this would be a good week or a good month to see if there are any members of the church who are isolating or housebound in your area who need you to do a shopping run for them, or any number of people who need prescriptions collected and dropped to the house. And as under the Lord's hand things improve as the year goes on, our opportunities to do all of these things only magnify and increase. My challenge for us is right now, even in the dark days of our current January lockdown, to think about how over the next few weeks we can walk in love with each other in this community. So that is us this morning, walking in love as Christ loved us. It is a way of life that Paul and the Lord ask of us, and our example for it is the Lord himself. We are to love indiscriminately, we are to love sacrificially, and we are to remember that ultimately we are loving devotionally to our God in heaven. Let's pray. Father, we confess to being challenged by these verses, and we acknowledge that without the example of the Lord Jesus, we wouldn't know where to start. We thank you for it. We thank you ultimately and primarily for his love for us, even when we didn't deserve it, even when we had no interest, that he took the initiative that you reached towards us in love. And Father, we would ask that you would help each of us to imitate that, that we would reach out to each other in love. We would be prepared to sacrifice, that we would be prepared to accept the cost that that will entail, and that you would always remember, remind us and help us to remember that what we are doing is ultimately not charity work for each other, but a devotional act of love and sacrifice to you. Father, we confess that without your help and grace, we cannot do it. But we know that we can come before you and ask for that help, and so we do. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to meet together in such strange and difficult times as these. We pray for our church pray for the older members, for those who are sick or have been bereaved, for those who are suffering in other ways, perhaps less easily understood, but no less real. We pray for your kindness and grace and presence and comfort among us. In your Son's name, amen.